Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. If you would take your Bibles out and turn them to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. We'll be looking at a little bit of this story from both sides, or both chapters rather. Uh, I thought maybe last week we were on the mountaintop last week. I thought we maybe could just kind of in, in idea or in, in location continue that, that theme this week as last week we talked about uh, being uh, worshipful on the mountain and then serving in the valley. And today we're going to talk about just kind of the peaks and valleys of life in general. We, we all have different uh, ways that we deal with things and different um, approaches of, of life. But one thing that is true about all of us is that we all have a wall. We all have a wall that we can go and go and go for so long, and eventually we're going to wear out. We're going to tire out. We're going to hit that wall, and we're going to stop. Athletes have it. Athletes, when they are training and when they're practicing, their goal is as they train and as they practice is to figure out where that wall is physically and maybe as a team and, and to try to figure out a way to push through that wall and, to, and to, to maybe create another wall that they have to push through at a later time. One of the stories that I read this week that uh, we won't go into a lot of detail about, but it was about the engineers, uh, the, the aeronautical engineers towards the end of World War II. They're producing airplanes and they, and they hit a, an invisible wall that they can't figure out why when airplanes went so fast, they all of a sudden became uncontrollable. And that wall that they were bumping up against is known as the what? Do you know what it was known as? Anybody? The sound barrier. Planes could only go so fast because of the way that they were made, and so they had to redesign airplanes to go faster and to break that wall. But you know, I think about us as Christians. We, we have walls, don't we? There are physical walls, there are engineering walls, but there are also spiritual walls. There, there are times in our life where we feel like, and we're going to see this in the story of Elijah today, that we feel like we give and we give and we give and we just kind of drain ourselves, and we haven't taken the time to fill ourselves back up and we hit that spiritual wall and, and we face what maybe I call a spiritual depression. It's not like depression of the world, if you will, but, it, but it's just a spiritual depression of God. You know, I'm, I'm struggling here. I don't understand what my purpose is. Maybe I feel like everything in my spiritual life is just kind of falling apart, and, and we, just, we just don't know what to do. And we see today, we're going to see today from our text, a moment in Elijah's life where he was on, I mean, the most spiritual high that you could be on, and then in a matter of an instant, he is in the valley, and then we're going to see how God brings him back up out of that valley and what he expects of him after he comes back out of that valley. So let's, let's kind of talk about a few things. If you uh, sin read part of the story for us from, from 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah is on a mountaintop and he is challenging the, um, all these prophets of all these false gods and, and they're, they're doing their thing. And then the part of the story that is kind of the climax that sin read and it's when, when Elijah finally prays to God and God just sends fire down 
down and just consumes this offering that he has put up there and, and the water, the trenches that are around. And many of you, I'm sure you recognize this story as you hear that part of, 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 of it. But we see that you know, he has challenged and defeated 850 prophets. He has, he has had this emotional experience of connecting with God and God answering his prayer in an amazing way. Let's read the end of this chapter, chapter 18, starting verse 45. Meanwhile, the skies grew black with clouds, the winds rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and he tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and now and how he had killed the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make you feel like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. All right, let's, let's stop right there and let's set the stage. Elijah had this mountaintop experience, right? He had this great moment with God where God showed up and he showed out in an amazing way. The, the stage was set for this great revival. Everybody's saying, hey, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. And, and the Spirit comes upon him and he runs all the way back to the palace. And, and there the king tells Jezebel everything that's happened. And, and Jezebel, she's, she makes a promise. She makes a threat. What's her threat? This time tomorrow, you're done. This time tomorrow, you're done. So he's had this amazing moment with God, a moment that you would think would carry him through a few days, right? Would carry him through a few days of just, of just mountaintop spiritual high. And it all comes crashing down because of the comment of one person. Do we ever let that happen to us? That life's rolling along, life's going well, life is great, God's blessing us. And Satan uses the comment of one person, one person, to tear it all down. For some reason, we have certain people that when they make those comments, it affects us more than everybody else. When those people, you know, they make those negative comments and, 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 and it, just, it just does something inside of us. And it doesn't matter what is going on positive with God, the devil knows that that individual's comments can overshadow everything. And that happens to Elijah. That this one person, their one thought, their one response, their one promise even, just erased all the great things, all the positive moments he had just had. I mean, think about it. This is a God, he's serving a God that just sent fire from the sky to consume an altar. Don't you think that he can take care of Jezebel? Absolutely. Absolutely he can take care of her. But that's, that's not what's going through his head. So the question, though, is... What causes Elijah's valley moment? What is it that takes him from this great moment with God to allowing this one person to, to just overshadow everything and find himself in a spiritual depression? Well, the first thing is this. He allowed fear to replace his faith. He allowed fear to replace his faith. He, he stopped looking up to God, and he starts looking around at everybody else and everything else, in particular, this one individual. 
It's the same thing that happens with Peter, isn't it? Peter steps out on the water. He, he, he hollers out to Jesus and goes, Hey, Jesus, if that's you walking on the water, tell me to come to you. And what does he say? He says, Come on. So Peter jumps out of the boat. He starts walking on water. The list of people that walked on water is two. Jesus and Peter. But Peter gets so far out, we don't know exactly how far away from the boat and how close to Jesus it was, close enough for Jesus to reach out and grab him when he starts to sink, but he takes his focus off of the main thing, and he starts looking around. He's not looking at Jesus, he's looking at the wind and the waves, and, and Elijah does the same thing, and we're guilty of the same thing as well. We understand, we got to keep our eyes on the prize, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. God has to be our focus. We've talked about that over and over and over. Satan is so good to just putting those things in our life that easily replaces that faith, overwhelms that faith, kind of overshadows that faith. For Elijah, it was fear. For you, it might be something else. But because of that, he lost his focus. The next thing that we see here, though, is he allowed fatigue to disrupt his spiritual balance. As you read the story and, and you go through here, Elijah, he expels a lot of energy. A lot of energy. He, the, the, the Spirit of God comes upon him at the mountain and he runs back to the palace, outruns the king in his chariot. You know, he's been on the mountain for several hours going through this, um, this, this spiritual battle up there, and you know that had to be exhausting. And then after that, he flees from the palace and, and, and runs off again for what some people say is another 75 miles. Okay, so he's had this, this just fatigue moment in his life. He he has given, and he has given, and he has given. And you know what? We all do that, don't we? I, I, I asked this question before, and I'm going to ask you again. How many of you have your week planned out already? It's Monday. How many of you, your week is planned out? You know what's going to happen. Now, what happens if there's a kink thrown into that plan and something extra has to be done? Does it stress you out? Do you look at it and go, oh, I don't have time for that because I've got everything set up and figured out already? Hey, I have weeks like that where on Sunday morning I'm looking at the week and I'm thinking, if I can survive this week, it's going to be a great week. And if one more thing happens this week, though, it's going to go from a great week to a bad week because I don't have time for any un, um, unplanned or unexpected uh, stuff to go on. Uh, it's... It's just the way we live our life. But the danger in that is that we plan and squeeze so much into the time of day that we, we just wear out. We just exhaust ourselves to where we don't have anything left to give. And when we are physically tired, when we're physically tired and exhausted, that's when Satan loves to pounce. Because he knows that we're not in a great place physically, so that's going to affect our spiritualness. That's, that's why he let Jesus wander around the desert not eating for 40 days. He didn't come after Jesus right after his baptism, did he? No, he lets Jesus wander in the wilderness for 40 days in the desert fasting. And the beginning, of that, the beginning of that story in Matthew says, after that 40 days, Jesus was hungry. To me, that's the most understated passage in all of Scripture. 
40 days of not eating. Jesus was not just hungry. He was exhausted. He was lonely. He was tired. Okay? He, 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 was, he was just, he was done. And Satan loves to keep us busy so that we'll get tired. And when we're tired, spiritually we become off balance. And that's exactly what happens to Elijah in this particular story. The next thing is he allowed frustration to replace his hope. He allows frustration to replace his hope. Okay, so how would it feel? Just, just try in, in your mind to put yourself in Elijah's situation where he's on that mountaintop and, and to have all the emotional buildup. It, it's, it's your turn to pray to your God, okay? And you pray to your God, and not only does he consume your sacrifice, I mean, he does it in a way that you could have never described it or, or written it out or planned it. And you just see God do that. And then when all of that happens, what was the response of all those people around? The Lord is God. The Lord is God. His, his, his hope in God was fulfilled. It was, it was as full as it could be in that moment, okay? It was as full as it could be in that moment. But now that he's in the valley, now that he's in the valley, he's got the case of the eyes. The eyes. Go with me to chapter 19 and look in verse 10. He says, so, so, he's, so he's in a cave. Actually, uh, back up to verse 9. Let's just get into it. There he went into a cave and spent the night by himself, okay? And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? God comes to him and says, hey, Elijah, what, 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 are, you, what are you doing? Like, what's, what's the deal here? And this is his response. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You ever get that way? You ever get the eyes? You ever get to the point to where you're like, it's just me and, and nobody understands what I'm going through? Do you ever think, I'm just so messed up, my, my life is, is just so turned upside down, things are never going to change, my life's never going to get any better, I, I try so hard, but it never works? That's where Elijah was. And, and God's response to that, and we'll touch on this a little bit more, but God's response to that is, slow down, buddy, you don't get it. You think it's all about you, but it's, God says it's really all about me. You think you're the only one? Not a chance, dude. I've got 7,000 other people in Israel that are still faithful to me, that, that still love me, that still obey my commandments, that regardless of what else is going on, they've remained just as faithful as you have. Basically, what I hear him saying is, hey, Elijah, you still have a place to belong. You still have a people to belong to. You don't have to be by yourself, but you're going to have to look at the bigger picture. It's not you can't you can't say, God, this is the way it is when you don't understand my viewpoint. Because I've got things under control a lot better than you ever could. And, but what he had done is he allowed all this frustration. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's scared. He's just drained of everything. And that drains him of all the hope that he found 
on the mountain. So he is just spiritually depressed in a major way. But well, how does God bring him out of the valley? How does God bring him out of the valley? Well, the first thing that we see here is that God allowed him rest and refreshment. God allows him rest and refreshment. Go back uh, into chapter 19. Let's read verses 5 through 8 together. 5 through 8 together. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. How many of you have ever eaten anything that lasted you 40 days and 40 nights? That was a meal right there, wasn't it? That was like the church potluck of potlucks, you know what I mean? So he's, he's exhausted. He's worn out. And the first thing that God does, he doesn't say, hey, snap out of it. He doesn't say, hey, get over yourself. He says, take a nap. Take a nap. And then get you something to eat. And then take a nap again. And then get yourself something to eat. Now, that's a spiritual discipline I can really get a hold of right there. Take a nap, get yourself something to eat, and go back and take a nap. But you know what? Sometimes in our life, the most spiritual thing you can do for yourself is just that. Get yourself a snack and go to bed. Get yourself a snack and go to bed. Because sometimes we are so physically exhausted from this fast-paced world that we live in that sometimes to reconnect with God, we've got to make ourselves slow down and re-energize. And that's exactly the first thing that God does for him here is he realizes for him to be any good to the kingdom, this guy's got to rest. This guy's got to slow down. He's got to recharge himself. You know, I, I love talking to new parents. We, we've got, we've got a, a friend in, in Arkansas that uh, she's got a, they're, they're her first child, and she's a couple of months younger than, than, than London, and, and I love following her Facebook posts and, and watching her, because she's like, she'll, she'll post this question like, has anybody ever had a nine-month-old go through a sleep regression? I'm like, they're nine months old. It's all a sleep regression. And uh, my, my response to things is, I haven't slept in 10 years at all. Most nights I wake up and we've got four kids somewhere in our room. Three of them will be in our room the next morning, somewhere, somehow whether it be at the foot of the bed, laying across us, laying on a pallet in the floor. I mean, London's crib's in there. We, you get that, right? But Collins is the only one that will stay in her room all night long. I've not slept in 10 years. When we went on our cruise back a year and a half ago, we were so refreshed because we didn't take a single kid with us. And all we did was we went and ate breakfast, and then we went and we took a nap. And then we went and ate lunch, and then we went and took a nap. But that's what we needed. And sometimes God says, hey, 
slow it down. Find a way to break out of, of the fast-pacedness because we're all so guilty of that right now in this time in, uh, in our lives. And he says, just slow down. Just slow down. Maybe some of you, that's what you need this morning. Just slow down. The next thing, God met his spiritual needs. So Elijah's struggling here. Elijah's thinking, man, there's, I, I'm all by myself. I've given everything. I don't know what else to do. And, and God comes to him, and this is kind of the, the, the core of the whole story, is, is kind of the, the miraculous part right here. So go to verse 11, chapter 19 of our story. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So, for starters, I, I, want, to just, I, I want to tell you that one of my favorite places to be, one of, the, one of the places that I feel cl- most close to God is when you're in the mountains. And you can, we did a retreat at Kingston the first year I was there up in the mountains right across the state line into North Carolina. And our cabin that we were in, our, our retreat cabin, was up above. It was one of the higher points of the mountain range where we were. And, and to just sit there on the back porch and watch the clouds come in and go out after a rain and watch the, the, the fog lift. And at night, seeing the lights of the towns around. I mean, it was, it was just, it was, it was a spiritual thing. It was a spiritual moment to stand outside and just look at the mountains. And so for me, I read this and I think the setting is perfect. Like the setting would get my attention along with what's fixing to go on. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice of God said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He's already asked him once. He's already asked him once, but he's going to ask him again to see if his perspective changes because so all these things happen in front of him, okay? The wind, the fire, the earthquake, all this stuff. And I kind of equate that to the plagues. The whole point of the plagues in Egypt was to show who was in charge of everything, God. So all these things happen in front of him to kind of remind him how powerful God is. God is in control of all this stuff. But then he does something that I find real interesting through this story is this story is all about chapter 18 and 19 together. It's about big amped up moments, okay? Fire from heaven, the Spirit of God giving you the power to run for 10 miles and outrun horses and chariots. You're going to die, so now I'm running away, you know, and, and I just, when I get somewhere and I just crash, and, it's, and he wakes up and he's like, no one loves me, everybody hates me, you know, I'm all alone. Everything's very high emotions. Now, how does God diffuse all of that? With a gentle whisper. With a gentle whisper. He doesn't come back after all of this and yell at him and say, hey, snap out of it. Get over yourself. He comes to him and says, hey, now think about it. What are you doing? Why are you here? 
it's going to be okay. I'm still in control. I still love you. You're still part of my plan. And he diffuses his anxieties with just a gentle whisper. He, he, he first, he fills him up spiritually, and then he fills him up, or physically, and then he fills him up spiritually. And after all that happens, he gives him a message of hope. There's a lot of names in verses 15 through 21 through the end of the chapter here, or through the end of our section. And I'm just going to read the first part of verse 15 and then tell you the rest of it. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. And when you get there, start anointing people. He says, you've got a job. You've got a job. There's all these people in Israel that still love me, that still believe in me. You're still part of something bigger than yourself. Now that you have filled yourself back up physically and spiritually, hey, it's time to go back to work. We can't stay on the mat. It's time to get up, and it's time to get back to doing what you're doing. Do what you're good at. Do it what I've called you to do. Go back and anoint kings in, in Israel. Anoint two of them, and then go find this guy named Elisha, and you anoint him as prophet so that he can succeed you when you're gone so that my work continues to be done. You know, I think that's the message that we all need to hear. Because a lot of times we have the tendency that when we get down and get frustrated that we get filled back up a little bit, then we're like, well, I'm really not sure what to do. And God says, after I fill you back up, after you've been encouraged, after you've gotten back on your feet, you go back to work. You go back to work. You keep doing what you were doing. You keep working in the direction of the kingdom that I want you to work in. You keep using those talents and using those abilities that I gave you. Peter is such a great example of this. Peter is such a great example of this because Peter just, in the presence of Jesus, I mean, Jesus saw him do it. He denies that he even knew the guy. I mean, people came up to him at the trial and were like, hey, aren't you? No, no, no. You got that family member? You got that family member that people ask you, hey, are you related to so-and-so? And you're kind of wondering, yeah, but I don't like to admit it. You know, kind of the cousin Eddie's of the family. He had that moment. I'm not going to admit that I know this guy. Not a chance. And so they're sitting around a meal after Jesus' resurrection, and they're having a conversation, and he pulls Peter off to the side. Jesus does. And he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, I love you. Go feed my sheep. Get back to work. And then you ask him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, Jesus, I love you. Get back to work. Go feed my sheep. Pause that story for just a second. What had they done after Jesus' resurrection, or, or, or after Jesus' death, rather? What had they done? Did they keep doing kingdom Jesus work? Mm-mm. They went back to fishing. They had no clue what they were supposed to do. Their leader was gone. The guy that they had followed is gone. So what? they go back to doing what they had always done. They just, okay, we'll just go fish. Jesus says, no, Peter. You go back to doing what I've told you to do. And he asks him a third time. He goes, do you love me? And at this point, Peter gets frustrated. He goes, yes, I love you. Then get back to work. And maybe that's what you need this morning. Maybe you... 
have, have had your mountain to valley experience. God has pulled you back up, and now you're thinking, okay, now that I'm back up, what do I do? It's time to work. It's time to serve. It's time to get back in the game. But you know, I, I, think, I think all of us can find ourselves in this passage. Some of us are on the mountain with God. Some of us are in the valley of this spiritual depression. Some of us are on our way back up. Wherever it is, embrace where you are and turn to God and let him use you. Let him fill you up. Let him comfort you. Let him have that mountaintop experience where your faith just explodes. But in all of it, keep serving. Keep working. Let's go to God in prayer as we close. God, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. We thank you for the chance to study from your word. We thank you for this powerful message uh, from 1 Kings. Help us, God, to, to just face struggles head on, to realize that we're never alone, that you're always with us, number one. And number two, that we're always surrounded by a church family that loves us and that will be there for us and carry us. God, we just thank you for this church family and, and, and the way that we have grown closer together, even in a challenging year, the way that we have persevered and that we have continued to try our best to figure out ways to serve and to work. Help us in that, in that God, and, and help us to open up more doors uh, so that we can uh, be more effective in your community here. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his mercy and his grace and his love for us. This is your son's name we pray. Amen. In Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a church of Christ caring for its community.